Hi, guy. Hi, Matt. How you doing? I'm doing well, and you are back in Ohio. You're still on the road. Day five of this cross-country road trip to avoid flying during the spread of COVID-19. And this was, it sounds like, not to take anything away from the last four days, but maybe the most fun day of your drive, all things considered. We'll get into that, but first the question, how are you? I'm doing good, Matt. I'm about 30 miles outside our capital in Ohio, Columbus. And today was, you're obviously finishing at home in the Cleveland area. You started in another city with a lot of meaning to you in Bloomington, Indiana, where you'd spent four years of your life. You went to school at IU, and your first trip back in in quite a while, what was it like to get there last night? I saw on Twitter you walked around, you took some photos, looked fairly empty, no surprise, and you went on a long run this morning. You didn't golf in Bloomington, though. No, we'll get to golf. We did play in Indiana. We'll get to that later in this. So, yeah, I, I got to Bloomington, Indiana at 11 p.m. last night, and the first thing I did was I walked around downtown a little. So if you think about it, the first Saturday of April at a college town with a giant university, things would have been hopping. I mean, it would have been busy. There would have been lines out the door at some of the bars, and uh, there would have been cars all over the place, and students screaming and commotion, and loud music and parties, and downtown was desolate. You know, I, I walked by two of the places that I used to hang out in college. Obviously, they were closed. The lights were still on in the building. Nobody outside them. Uh, I was really the only one downtown on Kirkwood Avenue, which is the main uh, street for the night activity. Uh, that was, uh, I'd never been to Kirkwood Avenue on a Saturday night where it was empty. And then I checked into the hotel, slept, woke up, did a nine-mile run around Bloomington and the campus, and the only people I saw outside, this is between like 8.30 a.m. and 10 a.m., were other people running and getting fitness in. I think I saw one person carrying a backpack, so it would have been about a month away from finals at a huge college, university, a Big Ten school, and only one person carrying a backpack on the entire campus on a Sunday morning in early April. So that was eerie to see that scene. It kind of, you know, we mentioned passing through up on the city in Tulsa two days ago, what, what it was like being in metropolitan areas on what, what would have been a work day for many. Uh, and, and when everything started happening, though, and places started shutting down, my, my, my initial thoughts kind of went to the college town because not only did I spend four years in Bloomington, Indiana going to school, I worked for close to seven years in big college Pennsylvania. So, I've had these connections to these college towns that they know how universities are such major economic drivers in these lovely parts of the country. And when they started sending students home and classes went online, that was kind of my initial thought when you thought of the economic impact of this whole thing. What is it going to do to places like Bloomington, Indiana, and State College, Pennsylvania, and Boulder, Colorado, and Iowa City, Iowa? We could just, you know, take a lot of them. And it was good to see, uh, I don't know, it's not the right word, but to get the whole perspective of what's going on and how places are impacted, it was interesting on the final morning to, to, to go to a college town and run around it. And I actually you know, saw a lot of the buildings and, and places that meant a lot in my life. We won't really get into that too much in this podcast because I just don't want to bore people about uh, you know the, the old journalism school and 
great to check out of it that you did in. I struck up a conversation with the, the young woman working there. It turns out she's a, a tourism and hospitality major. So can you imagine that? Uh, you're a month away from graduating college. She's a month away. She's going to graduate this semester. In that industry, right now, going into the workforce, tourism and hospitality, can you, can you imagine that? It'll be a dry start to her professional career. I'm sure it'll tick back up, but this is not the best time, in microcosm at least, to go into that industry for sure. Yep, and she was telling me, so the Hinton Inn that is essentially a mile from Indiana University campus by all the, the sports facilities there, uh, only had six people staying in it last night. It probably would have been packed. Rooms would have been probably going for over 200 bucks for a weekend in April. April's a, blooming, uh, a beautiful time in Bloomington, Indiana, southern Indiana. It's starting to get warm. They're starting to, to get some nice blooms. The so Bill 500, which is a popular intramural event, oh, yeah. the most popular intramural event yep. in, the, in the country, it would not have been this weekend. I believe it would have been two weekends from now. That was getting ready to roar. Uh, just, just completely uh, desolate, eerie scene in Bloomington, Indiana. It was a draft morning. And Bloomington's funny, and maybe I'm a bit biased, but it's one of the uh, most picturesque college campuses in the country. I've been to, a, I've probably been to over a hundred different college campuses, and just the scenery and the buildings and how everything together and the landscape uh, in Bloomington is really, really special. That's another thing I noticed that's been kind of wet, and they probably had reduced staff. I just noticed that um, how high the turf was on campus too, Matt. I guess that's the uh, person that works in the, uh, the the golf industry and the turf has maintenance business. I noticed that things have not been really touched with the mower. Uh, it's probably been too wet to get a mower on a lot of the campus, and they're mm-hmm. probably working with producing ass too. So that was a uh, interesting way to start the day. Seeing that, uh, there were a lot of emotions, and they weren't really personal emotions. They were more emotions of what's going on and all the people that this is affecting. And I've had those emotions throughout this trip, and it just hit again this morning. I am a proud Ohio University alum, and I think Athens is very beautiful, but I have a lot of family who've gone to IU. I've heard about IU since I was a little kid, and believe it or not, Guy, I actually have a degree from Indiana University. It's my mom's. She mailed it to me. She didn't want it in her house. She's cleaning out everything, but I do have a physical degree with somebody else's name on it from IU, so you're preaching to the choir on the beauty of of Bloomington. What a Nice way to spend your last morning on this week-long trip. Yeah, and I get asked, uh, because I've been to all 14 Big Ten campuses, <laughs> uh, which ones are the, the, the best or the most scenic. And, you know, in the golf industry, we don't really rank things. We don't <laughs> want to get into the, get into the uh, into those debates right. and show a bias anyway. But but uh, I posted some pictures of the Indiana campus on Twitter. And Dr. Paul Cope, uh, who's in the, uh, the, the turf grass management Science Department at University of Wisconsin, one of the great researchers in our industry, a former super social media award winner. He's one of the preeminent uh, snow mold and winter kill experts. I guess when you're in Wisconsin, you better know those two subjects to serve your, um, the, the people in your state, your research purpose. I posted a picture, you know, I posted some pictures that he responded, you know, most beautiful campus in the big, or something along those lines. And I just responded, I said, you know, in no particular order, you're just going by pure campus scenery, you'd have to say, and this is, uh, again, in no order, not to slight any other, the other universities, but I have been to all of them. I would put Iowa City, uh, University of Iowa, 
Indiana University, and, which is in Bloomington, and the University of Wisconsin Madison, and my minor, the three most scenic campuses in the Big Ten. Yeah, the only one has a turf grounds program. What the heck? <laughs> Go figure. And for a long time, it was the yeah, farthest well, east until Rutgers came in. And in Iowa, Iowa State has the turf grass program, and, and, and um, Indiana Purdue's got the turf grass program. So I, I hardly ever mentioned in the golf industry that I went to Indiana University because we have a lot of Purdue University readers, and I don't want to create any uh, tension by saying I went to Indiana University when there's a chance that a reader might have went to Purdue. Well, I think you're long past the point of uh, intense rivalry, at least you know from from where you are, the schools tab it. But I don't think that would turn anybody off. I sure as heck hope not, because I stopped caring about that stuff the day I graduated college, and I would hope that other people have moved on to their lives like that too. Yeah, you probably follow Auburn a lot closer than you follow Indiana. Oh yeah, I could. I know Indiana had a nice football season. I believe they won eight games, maybe. But, yeah, I, I, I haven't watched the Indiana football game from start to finish since I was covering Penn State football, and I, I had to watch Indiana football. You had one other stop today, at least one other stop today, in the Hoosier State, and this sounds like an incredible find that you just really stumbled across in Hagerstown, um, Hartley Hills. I'm going to just get out of the way because a you were there and b this is really the epitome of i think what you were trying to find on the road during this week back from california this old backtrack a bit so i left yeah. bloomington checked out of the hotel and i was going to stop at a golf course called taylor's par three golf course in bloomington it's a family-owned course by i believe the gentleman's name is Vince Taylor, him and his wife own it. And the only reason I know that Taylor's Part 3 exists, and I don't remember it uh, from my college days, is because exactly uh, a month ago tomorrow, I was at Wingfoot Golf Club in Westchester County, New York, working on a project that hopefully, it's been delayed right now, and hopefully it gets ready at some point. And I met an awesome assistant superintendent there. I actually met him at the, at the Green Start Academy last year briefly, but I got to spend some time with him. When I visited Wingfoot Golf Club last month, his name's Vincent Taylor. Uh, he is a incredibly talented assistant superintendent who works for director of golf courses, Steve Rabideau, and his team there. And Vincent and I spent about an hour and a half together during my visit because he's in charge of the Weevil Track and the annual Bluegrass Weevil Monitoring Program and the Insect Program. At Wingsville, he's been empowered to do a lot of that. He uh, is a Vincent uh, said he's a, he's always been fascinated by insects. He's kind of the big uh, the bug guy on the Wingsville team. And anyone that has a question about bugs goes to, to Vincent. And uh, he asked I asked him where he's from when we started our, our, our drive around. He said he's from Bloomington, Indiana. I said, oh, that's interesting. I'm an Indiana University alum. And he goes, oh, did you play a golf course in Taylor's Par Three? When you're in college, I said, no, unfortunately, I played most of my, well, I don't know if it's unfortunate, I just played most of my golf at the Indiana University, of course. He said, well, next time you're in Bloomington, why don't you check out, check out the course? My parents go in, uh, they do all the maintenance, that's where I grew up working. Uh, you know, it'd be cool if you check it out next time you're in Bloomington. And I said, well, what, I will, but I don't know when the heck I'm ever going to get to Bloomington again. And I, 
about that on these podcasts, some of the things to limit touching. So the, the cups were up, upside down with four inches of flagstick placed in them and fluorescent duct tape around the flagsticks. Uh, I thought it was great. You could see the fluorescent tape and the four inches with the fairway flagstick sworn in. So there were no touching. I thought, you know, incredible idea. I'm thinking, wow, that's a real uh, small town Indiana, a future ingenious, ingenious, I can't say the word. It's just an ingenious idea. We're seeing a lot of ingenious ideas here by golf for superintendents. So I'm on the next hole. Uh, the same gentleman that I encountered when I paid was there, including some cart, posing off some debris from the, uh, from just the pavement there. Same guy, you know, started. After I got off the, the green, I said, you know, thank you for keeping the golf course open. You know, thanks to the team here. I had a wonderful golf experience. That's kind of my line. I usually go to the pro shop and say that to members working there. When I'm out playing, I think it's important to show gratitude. Obviously, when you work in this industry, you know how hard people in the industry work to keep these golf courses going and viable. And I asked the gentleman, I said, who's the superintendent? He goes, you're staring at him. I go, oh, that's. That's awesome. I go, you know, what's your name, sir? Here's my name, is Brett Edgerson. You'll see my name on the scorecard. So I look at the scorecard. He's listed as the pro too. I said, oh, you're the pro and the superintendent. He goes, not only am I that, I'm the mechanic. I grind the reel. <laughs> he goes, I'm the event planner. I uh, I do a lot of that. Uh, you know, he's essentially uh, the point person for this nine hole golf course. He doesn't. I go, well, do you own it? He goes, no, no, I'm not the owner. <laughs> I just, I, I just, I just pull all these functions here, and I, I go, well, you know, let me go to my car. I got something for you. You probably thought I was going to come back with something cool. Like, and, um, I don't know. I don't know what I would have. I, and I did mention to him when I checked in that I'm, I'm going around the country and playing random golf courses to break up the drive hall. You know, just something I like to do on the road. And then I gave him my business card, told him who I was. You know, I wasn't going to meet any superintendent because you want to limit contact right now. And I didn't want to bug anyone. And all the golf experiences have been random. And I, I told Brett who I was, and he was vaguely familiar with the magazine. And he handed me his card, and we talked for an hour and a half behind the ninth green just about what it's like basically being a one-person operation and holding all those different functions and his lifetime in golf. He went to Ball State University, yeah. and I believe he played on the golf team in the late 1970s. I took a photo of him. Uh, we talked about his idea with the, uh, you know, he sawed off four-inch segments on the flag to create those little inversions where he put the duct tape around. That was his idea. Uh, we just talked about the, about his career and how he how he manages uh, basically the crew's him, and he's got a part-time retiree that helps him most sometimes. And, uh, the owners Jeez. of the golf course have owned it for six years. I believe he's been around there that entire time. Uh, uh, the golf course has made significant improvements in that time. You can tell it their original characteristics. characteristics. He's renovated the bunkers. He's improved the turf conditions. You can tell that this guy who had a bit of a crusty exterior first and tremendous pride in everything they've accomplished at the golf course. And we talked and talked, and eventually I had to hit the road. I took the I by taking some pictures. I took some pictures of him. I put them on social media. And uh, I don't want to give too much away because I'm definitely going to circle back with him because he kind of epitomizes what the spirit of some of these small-town golf courses are, these nine-hole courses that are very viable valuable to these communities and he's the type of person that keeps these small courses going so that the, these small towns have their social hub and their recreation hub and I think you're going to be reading more about Brett Atchison eventually 
Gloucester Magazine. Just what a what a special way to end this, the, the golf portion of this journey, meeting him and having this conversation on this awesome nine-hole golf course. That, uh, we've talked about how a lot of these courses that I've randomly played have really fit their surroundings. We talked about Hitting Cove in Arizona and the Bill and Payne Stewart golf course in Missouri and some of the others, Trona golf, golf course in California and Rustin Canyon and Seabird Cliffs and uh, Oak Meadow and Pebbly Farms and now uh, Hartley Hills is just the perfect ending to this. It's not like you were on an old farm in Indiana in this small town where this golf course has been a very important asset now for close to close to uh, 90 years or for over 90 years. And Brett was telling me they do over 30,000 rounds. Wow. Now, a lot of those are member rounds and these members are only paying a couple hundred bucks to play there and they're just there all the time. And he's been thinking, uh, you know, been coming by during uh, the COVID-19 situation and Indiana's still a state where golf's going strong as I saw, you know, tried to play three golf courses and they were packed on a Sunday afternoon. So, a very, a very special day to spend some time in Indiana. It meant a lot to me. Uh, I was wondering if I was going to get the whole Hoosier hospitality thing because you're not really talking to people or coming in contact with people. And uh, Brett Edgeson definitely provided Hoosier hospitality for me. Uh, it, 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 he tried to he had on the in, the in what he's done with the golf course and to have him, you know, just tell part of his story as we were sitting there being seen for an hour and a half. Uh, just really awesome, awesome, awesome way to end this trip and to, to find a place like that that just epitomizes what we were going for throughout this journey. Really awesome and special, and I'm running out of adjectives for it because I'm getting a bit emotional, and I'm sure uh, we'll hopefully we'll have a chance to pro- profile Brett, who's a, a pro superintendent mechanic combination. You don't see many of those anymore. No, that's that's a uh, that's a triumvirate that is pretty uncommon. Since you're getting emotional, I feel like now is the time to ask this question, guy. You are probably in the last hundred or so miles of about a twenty-four hundred mile trip. Probably made a little longer by little sideways trips to various courses and various hotels, and not so much the restaurants. But you're almost done with this trip. Five days in. Whatever. But I know I've asked you this in a few of the previous episodes. You know, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? How are you feeling? You know, what would have been your impressions? And you always kind of go big picture. But you're, you're almost done with your first cross-country drive. You just celebrated your 40th birthday. You had somehow gone through 40 years of life without a cross-country drive. Uh, you've got one now. You're almost finished with it. What did you What did you kind of experience? Like, what, what, what is the big takeaway from being able to do this? Um, and, and really kind of stumbling into it, but being able to do this now at this point in time, this very strange time. So the easy answer would be, read the story. <laughs> We're going to make people wait for that. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try to make this short so we can uh, eventually get to writing the story. And if these are uncertain times, it, there are a lot of crazy things going on in, in the country. And there are things that are going to take a long time to, to, to figure out. There are no easy answers. But I feel proud. 
allowing golfers keeping these businesses that are very important and employ hundreds of thousands and millions of people and provide a lot of people with comfortable lives because they exist. I feel proud to be part of the golf industry. The golf matters as much now as it ever has, Matt. Uh, the people that are still getting to go out and play, that's maybe the only pleasant thing they're doing right now. They're only released from all these all the talk, all, all these stories that aren't really positive. And for the people working on the golf courses, I'm proud of the work and proud of the fact that they're, you know, a lot of them are working with limited crews right now because of, of furloughs or, or uncertain financial situations or because of state regulations. I just, I just, it's just awesome to be involved in this and to get a chance to play some of these uh, golf courses that I would have never have gotten experience had I not done this cross-country trip. And if I would have flown home, I would have never gotten to visit these places or meet a Brett Atchison or, or, or see the work of, of some of these other superintendents or see what these golf courses mean to these communities. Because, you know, really, when you, you open the publications and we do the best we can to cover a wide spectrum of golf courses, and you've done a great job of that, Matt, since you've arrived at golf course industry, especially with, uh, some of the stories you've done about revitalized courses. But, you know, it's, it's not always about the wing foot. And I'm just driving through Dublin, Ohio, where I signed <laughs> home of the uh, Beerfield Village and yep. the former the Memorial Tournament. It's not, those courses are special, the wing foot and the Beerfield Villages, but so are the, the, the Hidden Coves and the Hartley Hills and the Suburb Cliffs and the, the Bill and Payne Stewart golf courses and the Oakwood Meadow, those are, and the Trona golf course and the Rustic Canyon and the Pebbly Farms, those are special too. We don't necessarily get to see or hear a lot of those. Some of those places aren't in big metro areas, so they're very tough to get to. And to have a chance to go see those really is a once in a lifetime of experience. And to have a chance to put a little bit of that into verbal perspective here on the, the podcast that you've been staying up late to record and get, get a chance to somehow write an article tie all this together maybe it'll be a positive story that will make our readers feel a little bit better so I, I, I just I keep saying the word but I'm very fortunate to have this adventure when a lot of people aren't able to do something like this right now or ever in their life and it's been cool to be in a business or working in an industry or have a, a forum like golf course industry where I'll be able to get to tell this story in a little bit of a way that maybe ties it all up together and maybe bring some attention to places that would have never received attention before and maybe divert someone's mind from the tough situation that they're in. Yeah, and and by no means are we solving world connection or world problems here, but maybe that's the, the, the little, it's something you wonder, you think, you know, all, all, all I do is I'm an editor for a, magazine that covers the golf industry and we treat our job very seriously but then when you hear stories about that the health workers and mm-hmm. I, I see all these trucks and people making deliveries of food to people and you see uh the the, the, the police and the, the fire and, and the people working in the hospitals and the grocery stores and all these other jobs that maybe you feel are definitely you feel are more important than yours maybe this is my own our own little way of contributing something of value that makes it easier for someone to feel good about themselves for however long they're listening to the podcast or, or tell the story. And maybe it helps other people in the industry that we cover that's been listed as an essential industry in a lot of states. Mm-hmm. Maybe when people see some of these and read about, you know, a Brett Atchison, a person that is doing all the 
essentially every single job at a golf course to keep it going. And that golf course is very important to Hagerstown, Indiana. But maybe it makes others feel better, inspires others. Or maybe it, it makes others realize, hey, there's somebody out there going through what I go through. And I guess that's the essence of what the golf course industry is all about and what we do, Matt. It's easy to pick up a newspaper and read so many great stories about doctors and nurses. My mother-in-law, longtime nurse, who uh, is now a, kind of a higher up at her hospital, and we'll see how much she's actually doing on the floor, but she's she's keeping uh, keeping everything going. They're expecting their surge. Uh, it, it's easy to go grocery shopping and, and see the great work that those folks are doing, keeping shelves stocked and checking people out. Um, our local store has put up basically hockey glass separating customers from cashiers, and that's a really smart move. It, it's easy to look at the truck drivers who are still out on the road making those deliveries, and, and all of these other essential industries, the things that we need right now, fast food workers, you know, to take nothing away from them. But you're right, there is something to be said for all the great folks keeping the golf courses and in the environmental areas surrounding those golf courses in great shape, both providing people an escape, whether it's for an hour with your speed nines or a full four or five hour round, and also just keeping those environments in good shape and keeping them alive and you know not letting them get overgrown, not letting uh, pests come in later in the year, not letting things die away. That's that's important because as you have mentioned so many times in our year together, you know, golf courses in a lot of places are really the only green space. They might be parking lots otherwise. And again, taking nothing away from any essential industry, you know, we're preaching to the choir here with our listeners, uh, I would imagine, but very, very important work and a big thanks to everybody, uh, superintendents, directors, crew members, volunteers who are doing great work uh, on the golf courses right now. And Matt, I would say, this is kind of a closing thought here, in good times, that one, two, three, four, five, hopefully not six hours that somebody <laughs> spends on a golf course. Oh, man. For some people, that's the best time they spend in their day, week, month, year. And that's very important to the people that get to experience that recreational release. And I would say it is equally as important, if not more important, in uncertain times like it is now. So, you know, we're big parks people. We're big recreation people, Matt. We get out, we're active, we do things. And just because things are uncertain right now and there are some serious problems going on, it, it doesn't mean that it's not vital or... I really think it is vital and essential for people to get outside and get away from it and enjoy great spaces and do something that, that's uh, healthy and takes their mind off the, the bigger problems in the country and the world. And I would also say that at no point on this trip did I feel my health was compromised or being anywhere close to being compromised or the health of anyone that I'm going to come in contact with when I get home by being out on the golf course. So. I felt like they were, and I, I always feel like this, but I especially felt like this now, that there was no safer place to be. You'll get no argument from me on that point. So yeah, it's been an incredible journey, and, and it's been fun to tell it this way, and we'll try to write an article to tie all this together, and if, if any of this makes anyone feel any bit better,
better or inspires anyone or just connects with even one person, I guess we've done our, our job and our small little part during this situation that's unlike any other in our lifetime. And when things do start to turn, whenever that is, I love road trips. You've now basically finished your first cross-country road trip. You're almost home. And I know a lot of folks in the golf course maintenance industry don't get that much time off. There's there's time to travel to regional shows or the national show or you know, some folks do golf on their vacations. Uh, I've talked with a few superintendents who will just take a week to go see other courses and play. But there is something to be said for the Great American Road Trip. Get out there if you can and you want to, because even beyond the golf courses, there's so much to see in this country. And Guy, I'm very glad that you were able to finally experience a cross-country road trip. It, It affects you and sticks with you unlike, in a way, unlike a lot of other experiences and other things that you can do, I think. One other thing I learned during this golf course, no matter how far or during this road trip, is no matter how far away you seem from population centers or or anything that would resemble a lot of activity going on, you're never that far away from a golf course. (laughs) Yep. Thanks so much for listening to this special week-long edition of Greens with Envy. The road trip will be back on the Superintendent Radio Network with normal programming next week. My legs are recovering from an 11 miler. It was a little colder than I thought it would be today. And oh, uh, I only did nine. <laughs> only. Nine miles through uh, Bloomington and Indian Campus. I never did around that long when I was actually in college. Uh- <laughs>